Uh, what I want to do this morning is not so much preach, but just answer some questions that we've had come in. Uh, we started a series last week on spiritual warfare. How many of y'all were here last week for that? Man, it was a really, really good service, and really, we're really excited about this series that we're in for the next several weeks because all of us, I mean all of us at one time or another, um, have experienced some kind of spiritual warfare in our lives. And if you try to do anything for the kingdom of God, the devil's going to try to pick on you, right? Um, and it's like I said last week, if you don't come from a church background, that probably sounds really weird to you. Uh, that probably sounds a little bit like Star Wars, where we've got uh, the Sith fighting the Jedi and all that kind of stuff. But that stuff really does happen in real life. And hopefully, um, if you'll stick with us over the next few weeks, we'll be able to not just make you a believer, but show you how to keep from falling into the traps of the enemy. Because he's really tricky at what he does, isn't he? He's really good at what he does. Now, he's defeated. We don't want to give him any more credit than, than he deserves. He's a defeated guy who's in a whole lot of trouble. He's a created being. Listen, he does not stand on equal terms with God. He was created by God. He's a little bitty fallen angel in a whole lot of trouble. And uh, But he is really good at what he does. He is really tricky at the traps that he sets. He is really good at getting us sideways and off track and what we try to do for the kingdom of God. So over the next few weeks, we want to take a look at what he does, how he does it, and what we can do as a church and what we can do as believers to not fall into his traps and to get to the place where we can stand on our own two feet spiritually and move on and do what God's called us to do because that's the goal, right? I don't want to miss a night's sleep because of anything the devil tries to throw at me. I don't want you guys missing a night's sleep. I don't want division in your families. I want your marriages healthy and strong. I want your kids to grow up loving the Lord. I don't want you to fall into any of the traps or the schemes that the enemy tries to throw against us. Because listen, as we move out and we try to do things for the kingdom of God, he's going to try to attack. You can just put it down on the calendar, write it in ink, carve it in stone. It's going to happen because anywhere there's a powerful move of God, he tries to come in and put out the fire. Every time. Every time. He did it with a New Testament church, and he's been doing it ever since then. Ever since then. That's, that's his little operation. That's what he does. We're going to keep on trucking, though. Amen? We're going to keep on moving, and we're going to punch him in the mouth and just keep on going and doing what God has called us to do. But this, today... Um, not going to preach so much. I just want to answer some questions. Since we've had a lot of stuff happen in the service already, we don't want to go too long today. But you guys have asked a lot of questions regarding spiritual warfare. We've had a few more come in over the past week. Um, also, listen, as we're going through this series, if a question pops in your head that we haven't answered yet or we're not going to answer today, hey, shoot it to us um, at info at churchlifepoint.com. Or you can write it down on a Connect card and send it to us. Or you can send us uh, a little message off the LifePoint app and shoot your little questions in. And we'll do our best to answer them. Because uh, if you're like me, you got a lot of questions on spiritual warfare. Because it's not a topic that's talked about a lot in churches. Because when you do, people get weird. They just get weird. People start seeing demons in bushes. People start rebuking the devil out of their cereal in the morning. You know, my Rice Krispies are not crackling in order. God's a God of order. Therefore, there's chaos in my bowl of cereal. There's got to be a demon in my cereal. Let's pray right now over my bowl of Rice Krispies right now. You know, that's a crazy example. But that's how weird Christians can get with this stuff sometimes. You've all seen it, right? 
You've all seen it, and that's what we want to try to avoid. I believe that the Bible is very practical. I believe that it makes sense. I believe that, especially in, in the, the realm of spiritual warfare, there are some very down-to-earth things that we can do, things that make sense, things that just aren't way out there in an intangible, super-spiritual world that we can apply to our lives to put ourselves in a position to do what God's called us to do and to not fall into the traps of the enemy. Amen? So last week we started out with a question. We didn't get very far, but the question came in, and this is a great question, what is spiritual warfare? What is spiritual warfare? And we, we nailed down this answer last week. Uh, spiritual warfare is an ongoing battle between the forces of good and evil in the spiritual realm. You've got three factors at play in this. You've got the kingdom of God. You've got the kingdom of Satan. I wrote Satan with a lowercase s because he's a punk, and I don't even want to give him the satisfaction of correct grammar. I just I, I can't stand the guy. So you've got the kingdom of little s Satan. And then you've got man's ability to choose which to serve and which to advance. You do realize we play just as much a part in spiritual warfare as Satan does. And sometimes as God does. Um, because we're choosing who we're going to serve. We're choosing which side to advance. If you doubt that, come hang out with me. And, oh, well, let's get some coffee. And I can give you some stories on how much damage a gossip can do to a church. Okay, we don't need demons manifesting and possessing people. All we need is somebody who's, who's, just, who's just a little bit off, who's decided they just want to gossip and slander somebody in the church. That'll cause all kinds of defi- division, distraction, and chaos in the church that pastors and leadership have to take care of. Because people, people can be very powerful tools in this war that we're in spiritually. Amen? How many of y'all have ever had somebody gossip about you? Oh, my gosh. See, everybody, y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Hands are going up everywhere. So that's a good working definition of what spiritual warfare is. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Uh, This is a passage of Scripture we're going to keep going back to. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's important because outside of Jesus, we are in trouble. But when we operate in relationship and God's power, that's a game changer in our lives. Put on the full armor of God. We, we talked about that a little bit last week. And what is the armor of God? How does that play out in our lives? That's the question we're going to answer over the next couple of weeks of this series. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our struggle. We talked about this last week. That word struggle literally translates as hand-to-hand life and death combat. Hand-to-hand combat. We are literally in a spiritual hand-to-hand life or death combat with the enemy. Now, a question that came in, um, and it, 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 it kind of hovers around that word struggle. A question that came in um, over the last couple of weeks was this. If... Jesus defeated Satan on the cross and when he rose from the dead. Why is there a struggle spiritually against the enemy? If he's defeated, why do we still have to fight against him? That's a good question, huh? Anybody want to answer that for me while I go get some coffee? Anybody want to? Um, 
Why do we have to struggle? Okay, here, here's the deal with that. This is the best answer I could come up with. Um, the, the struggle doesn't lie so much with the authority and the defeat, the authority of Jesus and the, and the defeat of Satan. The, the, the struggle resonates with something called timeline. Okay? Now, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for our sins. Amen? He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. His blood offered up, purchased our forgiveness for every sin potentially that we were ever going to commit. In Jesus, we have forgiveness of sin. All right. In Jesus' sacrifice, he fulfilled the law, right? Completely. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, he broke the power of sin over our lives. So that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we literally cross over from death to life spiritually. On the inside, we're alive again. And positionally, we are set free from sin. We no longer have to be a slave to sin. Praise God for that. Amen. No longer have to be a slave to sin. I'm so thankful for that. So Jesus dying on the cross did that. When Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says that he came back with the keys of what? Death, hell, and the grave. He went down and kicked the devil's butt all over the place, took back all the authority. He even said, all authority and power has been given to me. Jesus has all the authority, all the power. He defeated Satan 100%. He crushed sin, paid the price for us to be free from that sin in our relationship with him. And here's the problem. Even though Satan is a defeated foe, he hasn't been judged and he hasn't been locked away, kicked away in his eternal punishment in the lake of fire. Okay? That's still to come. That happens way after a lot of prophecy is fulfilled in the book of Revelation. That happens after the battle of Armageddon where he gets what he deserves until the time where he is cast into the lake of fire. He is free with the exception of a short period of time where he's bound up. We know in in, in Revelation he is free to operate on this earth and to try to cause trouble. It's not an authority issue. It's a timeline issue. Because he has not been removed from the earth yet. Make sense? This is why we struggle. This is why. Because he's always trying to frustrate. He's always trying to come and he's always trying to rob from us what God has, has done in our lives. So the, the struggle doesn't exist because Jesus didn't finish the work. He's crushed Satan. Satan just has not been cast into the lake of fire. He's still in operation on this earth. You realize that Satan does not reside in hell. Right? We answered that question last week. He does not reside in hell. He is in operation on this earth. So that's why we're struggling, because that knucklehead's still around. He's still setting traps. He's still working his little schemes. He's still doing all the stuff that he does. That's why we got to be alert. And if you look in the world today, it's really evident. It's really evident in the world today. Um, Recent studies have have shown this. Uh, A recent study showed that Christians are the most persecuted group in the world the most persecuted group in the world from the year 2005 to 2015 nearly 1 million Christians were martyred killed for their faith to put that into perspective when we celebrate Memorial Day we are honoring at least the declassified version says that we're honoring a little over a million soldiers who have given their lives in service for the country 
okay? Put that in perspective. Just in a 10-year period of time, we've seen nearly a million Christians martyred, directly killed because of what they believe. Okay, Satan is very much in operation in this world. Now, you can read a statement like that, and it kind of, you say, wow, that's, that's something. But those, those numbers translate into faces and lives. Most of you will recognize this picture here of a group of Christians who were killed by, I believe this is ISIS, that murdered 20-some-odd Christians, beheaded them on a beat because of their faith, just because they believed in Jesus. Here's another photo of, yeah, this is a young lady who went to Bolivia as a missionary. Was there for two days, and local groups decided they didn't want her there preaching Jesus, and they murdered her. I believe she was stabbed about 18 times and killed because she loved Jesus, and she wanted other people to know about him. Here's another one. This man, India, I believe, um, got on fire for God, started preaching Jesus, and the local religious leaders didn't like it. He started converting people, wanted to start a church, went public about wanting to start a church. He was gunned down in front of his house because he loved Jesus, and he wanted the world to know about the Savior, that it changed his life so radically. See, these numbers translate into faces. The enemy hates us, and he hates what we're doing. And it's, it's very, it, it, it'd be very wise of us to take that into consideration when we do what we do, because we live in America under the blanket of freedom where this doesn't happen every day to us. We don't live under constant threat of our lives being taken. But I tell you what, even over the last 10 years, we're starting to see a lot of the freedoms that we have as a group of people disappear. We're starting to see it disappear. Did you know that between every five to six minutes, a Christian is martyred for their faith somewhere in the world? Now, these are trackable numbers that we have. Now, these are just the ones that we're able to follow. These are the ones that hit the headlines. These are the ones that are verifiable now, if you ask me, do I think that number is higher? Absolutely, I think that number is higher. Um, I think if you look at uh, a lot of the Christians that are being murdered just in Africa by local tribes to, to try to stop the revival, I think that would be pretty close to that million number by itself. If you throw that in with some Middle East countries, it's insane. See, we don't, we don't face that kind of opposition but we are starting to face a little bit of persecution here in the United States as a group of people. It's crazy because if, if you're a Muslim, you get celebrated. If you're any other religious group, you get celebrated. If you're Hindu, if you, if you, I just worship at the church of me, you get celebrated in our country. But if you say you're a Christian, in many circles you get looked at differently. Because of how we've been demonized by the press and how we've been demonized by, I guess you would consider it, opponents who try to, who, who try to resist what we're trying to do in the world. It, or, it, it, it's, it's something. It's something. You see it on the news. Listen, when a dude can kneel, when a guy can kneel 
and protest of the national anthem and get celebrated because of his cause. But a Christian kneels to pray and give thanks to God, and he gets ostracized and made fun of for doing almost the same thing. Something's messed up in our country. Okay? We're in a war. We're in a war. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't intimidate me one bit. If anything, that gets me a little excited. If anything, it gets me a little bit fired up because I'm not ashamed of my Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. You can throw what you want to at me. This enemy has not been able to stop the advancement of the church since the church began. And he is never going to stop the advancement of the church until Jesus comes back and says, it's all done. You're never going to be able to stop this because God is behind it. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Amen? So, yeah, there's a lot of opposition out there. So it brings us to a question that we started to answer last week, but we, we kind of ran out of time. Why should I care? Why should I care about spiritual warfare? I love that question because that's a legit question. Like, at first you read it and you're like, well, some punk is just trying to say, yeah, why should I care? You know, what's the big deal? This is a question that I would ask, though. Why? Why is it important? Um, John 10, verse 10, is a great place to start in answering this. We read this last week. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Why should we care about spiritual warfare? Because he's not just attacking the church globally or in this nation. Listen, he's attacking you and me individually. He hates us. He hates us. I went uh, to New Mexico a couple of years back, and it was, it was so awesome. I had to speak at this conference, and it was fun. But one of the guys after the conference came, and he grabbed me, and he said, because I mentioned something about shooting while I was preaching, because I love to get out and shoot. And uh, he said, hey, I tell you what, tomorrow morning, you, me, and, and, and Ronnie, we're going to go out. Ronnie was a pastor at the church I was at. He goes, we're going to go out, and we're going to go shoot. And I said, man, that sounds awesome. He goes, no, you don't understand. We're going to have fun. He's got this vintage, it's all all original, all the parts are original, German gun that was used in World War II, fully automatic, all original. He's like, man, I'm going to break it out of the case, and we're going to shoot it tomorrow. And I thought, oh, wow, you're a dude, and I'm really tempted to just hug you right now. I'm going to refrain because I don't know you that well, and you got to make sure with dudes that that's okay. But I was so excited. We went out shooting, and, and we were walking. Before we shot, we had to walk out because every, everywhere around this area in New Mexico is just desert. Desert is like new territory for me. You know, I'm used to trees, woods, leaves on things, shade. They don't have a lot of shade unless it's man-made out there. So I'm walking around, and you're seeing cactus here, cactus there, a little funny bush here, a little funny bush there. And we're walking around, and the guy says, hey, you see this bush right here? Yeah, don't step on it. I said, okay, why? He goes, because the spines on this little cactus bush right here, are so strong, they'll go straight through your shoe and straight through your foot before you know what happens. So don't ever step near one of these things if you see them. I memorized what that thing looked like. I could, and like He showed me one, and I could spot every one in the area around me because I knew that if I stepped on that, it was going to hurt my foot. I didn't want my foot to hurt. It posed a direct threat to me, so I was on the lookout for it. You get what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Pastor Jeremy, why don't you come up for a second? Now, Jeremy is a great guy. 
I love Jeremy. Jeremy's a good-looking guy. He's a great guy. He loves his wife. The only thing I have against Jeremy is that he is an Alabama fan. Can we pray? Can we pray for, for Jeremy? He, he needs a lot of help. So Jeremy's, Jeremy's an Alabama fan. Uh, I got to be careful. My dad's an Alabama fan, and he's here this morning. And my daddy will still take off his belt and try to whoop me, so I got to watch out. Got to watch out about that. Um, so if I said Jeremy was coming over for dinner, most of us wouldn't have a problem with that, would we? He's a good guy. De- depending on your college football allegiance, might not have a problem with that. But let me say, let, what if I said Jeremy's a great guy, but Jeremy hates you. He hates everything about you. In fact, Jeremy's whole mission in life is to steal, kill, and destroy everything about you. Jeremy hates your family. Jeremy, but he's a great guy. You know why he's a great guy? Because the devil masquerades as the angel of what? He always looks good. He always looks good. All right, he hates your family. He wants to kill your children. He wants to rob all of your passion for life. He wants to rob all the dreams that are in your heart. He wants to steal it all. All right? He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy all your relationships. He wants to destroy all your friendships. He wants to get you in a place where you're isolated and alone with nothing to live for so that he can help push you that extra step to take you out into spiritual no-man land so that you're dead on the inside. Even though you got a pulse, you're dead on the inside. So Jeremy's a great guy, but that's his objective. How many of y'all would want to have Jeremy come over and have dinner with you? Nobody. Anthony, we got one in the back. There's always one in the group. So Anthony's going to have Jeremy over. I would be on the lookout for guys like Jeremy. Jeremy needs Jesus. Listen, this is just how the enemy operates, though. Because whatever he presents probably even looks better than Jeremy Brown. I'm just going to say, whatever he presents looks so good because he masquerades as an angel of light. But his objective is to destroy everything about you and rob you of your relationship with God. Let's give the devil, Jeremy, a hand as he grabs a seat. This is what, this is what he wants to do. We would never invite Jeremy over to our, uh, in, into our house if we gave those parameters. All right, But I know of so many people that invite the enemy, into their homes and give him access to their families and don't think twice about it because he fools them. Listen, the only reason the enemy wants to come over for dinner is because you're the dinner. You're the dinner. He hates you. He wants to take you out. He hates everything about you. He wants to destroy you. Well, Pastor Josh, what are you talking about? I I could meddle a little bit and we could talk we could talk about, parents, how we model our relationship with God and whether or not we live it at home the way that we show it at church because our kids see that. And whether or not we do that opens up a door for the enemy to come in and put a wedge in your family and wreak havoc. You all with me? We could talk about music. We could talk about movies. You start splitting hairs right there, though, because... It, it, you know, it, it, I don't want to jump up and down because you can get real legalistic in a heartbeat with some of that stuff. But listen, what we put into ourselves does matter, though, spiritually. What we give permission for our children to see and listen to affects them. And they say, okay, if mom and dad says it's okay, 
then it should be okay. That philosophy is going to take them in a certain direction. Okay? We never let Jeremy in, but I see people let the enemy in all the time. Why should we care? Because odds are he's already found little inroads into your family and into your life right now, and he's working hard to destroy all of it. That's why we should care. That's why we should care. Um, another passage of Scripture, why should we care? This is a great one. This is a great one. Um, Peter, First Peter 5, 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be alert and a sober mind. You know what that line means? It means watch out. Pay attention. Make sure you're aware of what's going on around you. Now, this doesn't hit with us here in America as as well as it would hit with the audience that Peter was writing this to back in the day. I mean, think about it. How many of us... How many of us showed up with torn clothes and bloody because you got attacked by a lion on the way to church this morning? Nobody. Nobody. I didn't see anybody coming and go, Pastor Josh, I'm sorry we're late. I got the kids in the car, and you wouldn't believe it, but a lion jumped out from behind the bush and got me a little bit. I had to kick him off, get in there, close the door, and honk the horn, turn on the windshield wiper so he'd leave us alone. Nobody said that to me. And we got to the church and opened up the door and all the kids got inside and I started walking across the parking lot and son of a gun, you know what happened again? A lion jumped out from behind the car and it tried to maul me. Nobody in here had that happen to them, right? Because we don't think that. It's just not going to happen very often. Look, if that happens in the United States, it's just your time to go. If you're walking across a parking lot and you get mauled by a lion, it's just your time to go. There's, some, there's probably more to that story right there because that never happens around here. So, but where Peter, when Peter was writing this to this people group, that was a real threat. Like it wasn't uncommon at all for people to be mauled by lions in the area. You know, I, I had some buddies that went on a mission trip um, to Africa, and they were out there, and they, they're, they're, they're big fitness guys, and they were like, hey, man. We, uh, we want to get out and run in the morning. And they were talking to the guy they were staying with. He goes, is it okay if we get out and run in the morning you know, for a little bit? Stay in shape. And the guy said, no, you cannot run. This is not good. You cannot run. And like, why not? He goes, the lions, they will eat you. That would be enough for me. That would be enough for me. Of course, I'm kind of a punk sometimes, so I would think, you know what? I'd still be good as long as the group was big enough because I didn't have to worry about run, outrunning the lions. I just had to outrun the people in my group, and I'd be okay. So, <laughs> But this is how the enemy – sorry, Lord, please forgive me for even talking about that. Some of you are like, did the pastor really – no, you didn't hear that. We're going to edit that out of the recording. I wasn't talking about that. Um, so anyway – that's how he attacks, though. Lions are ambush predators. When you watch these little nature shows, they're always attacking from behind nine times out of ten. And they're always going after the weak one, or they're going after the one that's carved itself out from the herd every time. The weakest one and the one that's carved himself away from the herd every time. Satan is always going to go after us when we are spiritually weak. He's always going to try to attack us when we've carved ourselves out away from people because of hurt, unforgiveness, 
bitterness. This is what he looks for, and this is how he attacks. You know how many people I've heard as a pastor who have said these words? They, they say, I didn't see it coming. Or I had no idea how far it had gotten. A drug addict, when he just hits rock bottoms, I just, I didn't realize how far I had gone. That's how the enemy attacks. Subtly, a little bit at a time, and then when you least expect it, just bam, it's on you. I see it happen all the time. People never expect it. He's an ambush predator. So why do we need to care about spiritual warfare? Because there's an enemy out there that hates you, and he is working hard to try to take you out to take out your children and every person that you love and care about. He wants to see you burn in hell for eternity. That's a guy I pay attention to. That's why it's important. Because as we do what God's called us to do, he's always at work trying to do something to interfere with that. Make sense? So, so if he's doing all of that stuff, the next question I would have, and this is the question that we had come in, uh, why, uh, sh- should I be scared? Do I need to be scared? And we've all, we all, like, we, we've all experienced fear at some point in our lives, right? Like, how many of y'all are afraid of heights? Okay, yeah. How many of you are scared of public speaking? Just hate public. Like, somebody, like, one study said that public speaking was, like, one of the number one fears, like, even above death. People would rather die than speak in public. That's crazy. Um, so I guess I'm doing okay with that. I don't, I don't want to die every Sunday when I get up here. Um, how many of you are like like me? I love going to the beach, but I don't trust the ocean. I don't trust the ocean, man. There's too many big fish. I seen too many big things come out of there. Like as long as I can see my feet in the water and see the like underneath the water and see the ground, I'm okay. You get out in that deep stuff where you can't see. Got the jaws mess me up. These little movies where these monsters are coming out of the ocean that mess me up. Look, in the movie Jaws, Jaws ate a helicopter. That's all I needed to know about the ocean. Stuff jumping up and eating helicopters. I don't want nothing to do with that. I will listen to the waves at the shore from a distance, and I'm good. Um, probably, though, most of us in here experience some kind of fear. Some kind of fear when we see the blue lights flashing in our rearview mirror. Y'all know, see, some of y'all started to get up just out of instinct. Y'all saw the blue lights, and you were fixing to run. Y'all are fixing to head to the door. <laughs> how many of y'all have ever, uh, so here we go again. How many of y'all have ever gotten a speeding ticket? Dude, there's a lot of fast drivers in this church. This was like everybody put their hands up. Um, I, I like to drive a little bit fast. We've all had those tickets. But when you see those blue lights in the rearview mirror, man, it's like, ah, uh, you start running through scenarios that aren't even possible. It's like, okay, do any of my friends, would they have put drugs in my car? Like, I think stuff like this when I get pulled over. I think, put stuff, I don't think so. Pastor Brad and Jeremy, no, they wouldn't do it. Now, Larry, now, Larry, maybe. Dave, maybe. I don't think so, but it's just, just, just Larry, Larry Miller, if you know, he's a great guy. If this guy's done more drugs, when he sweats, you're probably exposed to more drugs than the average man would do in his lifetime. And he hasn't done drugs in like 20 years, I bet you. Um, Larry used to tour with a lot of rock and roll bands. He's got a great testimony. He loves the Lord. He loves the Lord, but we like to, we like to pick on him. Should, should we be scared, though? Should we be scared? Now, listen to me. Should you be scared? 
My answer to you is absolutely yes. Yes, you should be scared. If you don't know Jesus. Okay? In your relationship with Jesus, you have access to all kinds of power and authority over the devil. He can't touch you in Christ. Outside of Jesus, you should be scared to death because you have no protection against an enemy that wants to destroy your life. In Jesus, oh yeah, oh yeah, you've got everything you need. You've got everything you need to put him in his place. The only way he can touch you is if you invite him in or if you choose to give him access. He can only get as close to you as you allow him to get. So should you be scared? Yeah. Yeah, if you don't know Jesus, some people ask this question. Um, this one came up a lot. Um, can Christians be demon-possessed? A lot of questions about demons and demon activity. We're going to answer over the next few weeks. Can Christians be demon-possessed? The answer is 100% no. 100% no. If you are a legitimate Christian, Jesus is your Lord and Savior. The Spirit of God resides inside of you. It is impossible for you to be possessed by a demon. Okay? Because the very definition of possession is that that spirit has complete control over you and you are subjected to its will, its wants, and its little whatever it wants to do that it can control you from the inside out. It owns you. As a Christian, that's impossible. It's impossible. Now, if Christ doesn't reside in your heart, boy, all things are kind of opened up and impossibilities there. Now, Somebody asked, because I know here comes a question, well, what's the difference between being possessed by a demon and being oppressed by a demonic force or a spiritual force? When you're possessed, they own you. They have complete control over you. Okay? I want to give you a quick answer because if we just bust out Scripture and get deep in theology, it's going to take eight years to go through this series. So I'm just going to give you some common answers and some common sense questions today. Okay? Um, So what does spiritual oppression look like? Have you ever heard somebody say, I just feel like I'm under attack? I just feel like I'm under attack. Like there's having a bad week. There's I made a bad decision and now I'm kind of reaping some consequences. And then there's, man, I am under some kind of spiritual attack from the enemy. That's what oppression looks like. Okay? When you start to, like the enemy will attack through situations and circumstances. He'll attack through other people. Just out of nowhere, personal attacks will start to come that you didn't create on your own. Mentally, this is where he loves to hit you. Thoughts will come out of nowhere, like temptation to the 10th degree. He'll always attack. He'll always attack your identity in Christ. That's going to be the first thing that he goes for. You're going to have thoughts. You're going to say, I love God. I love Jesus. But suddenly, you're going you're gonna to have... Um, you're going you're gonna to have bouts with depression that don't fit with your mental health. Um, you're going to have suicidal thoughts. You're going to have all kinds of th- thoughts about uh, self-worth and doubt. And all this stuff is going to hit all at the same time. And the goal is to push you away from your relationship with God so that you stumble spiritually. That's what oppression looks like. A full-on, all-out assault from the enemy to try to get you to move over here outside of the covering of your relationship with God. Now, that will last as long as you allow it to last. Okay? In Christ, what do we have? We've got authority, right? 
That stuff only lasts as long as you allow it to last, okay? Um, I had that happen to me not too long ago. I'll tell you this as a pastor. Um, the last six and a half, seven months pastoring this church, I have seen the level of spiritual attack that I have gone under and gone through go through the roof. It's insane. It's insane. Um, the stuff that the enemy tries to throw at you, and you recognize it's him working. Well, I learned real fast to cut him off at the path. Done, done. This isn't going to go on any further. Constantly. Because he's always testing the fence. He's always testing the fence to try to find an area to get us to stumble in. He'll do that with your life too. That's what oppression looks like. Not possession, oppression. Now, I have seen the enemy attack people in such a way as to, I mean, you would almost think that he's got control over them because they've become so used to the attack and so submissive to the suggestions. Because he can put thoughts in your mind from Scripture. He can do that, absolutely. And through suggestion, he can almost steer you in a way to get you where he wants you to go, never possessing you, but through suggestion, he can. How many of y'all, that sounds really weird to you? I don't see hands going up because you know that's how he works. Do you remember that big, uh, that big thing that came up? Oh, gosh. I don't know how long ago it was. But when they, when they busted all the advertisers for using subliminal messaging in the commercials, like radio commercials and TV commercials, where they would embed messages in the commercial to subliminally get you to go out and buy their product or eat their food or to do something like that. You know, the power of suggestion is it's, it's a real powerful thing. Well, the enemy operates not so much through subliminal advertising, but he can, in a way, steer your action through suggestive thoughts to get a course of action through you. Make sense? You've got to watch out. A lot of stuff can happen. So that's the difference between uh, possession and, oppre- and oppression. Very different. One, he owns you. One, he's just attacking you really, really hard. Really, really hard. And it has nothing to do with decisions that you made or anything like that. Um, ghosts. Oh, boy. I had a lot of questions pop up about ghosts. Are there ghosts? Do ghosts really exist? Are there spiritual creatures that walk around ghosts? Dead people walking around as spirits on the earth. Um, because we've all seen the TV shows, right? Y'all seen Ghost Hunters, right? Look, how many of y'all, seen, I don't want to ask who's seen Paranormal Activities. Movies like that. We'll say movies like that. That, that just open up this whole world of what could be spiritually ghosts and demons and all of this stuff. I've seen the TV shows where they're all walking around in a house in the dark that's 200 years old. Did you hear that noise? The house is 200 years old. It's going to be making some noise. I, if you put me in a house I'm not familiar with in the dark, I'm going to hear some stuff It's going to have me on edge too. I guarantee you, I felt the cold spot over here. It's cold right here. Maybe it's drafty. I don't know, put on a jacket. You know, they, all this stuff. Are there ghosts? From Scripture, here's what we know. No. No. Okay? No. But I saw, look, I saw a lot of stuff on movies too. I get it. Like I went and saw uh, Avengers Infinity War, and I saw, a, I saw a, a raccoon flying a spaceship. I've seen a whole lot of stuff. I watched Star Wars. I watched people move stuff with their hands and fight with laser swords, and it was awesome. But I know it's not reality. I think a lot of times we get the two confused. Here's what Scripture says, okay, that 
Uh, it's appointed unto man once to die, and then judgment. When we die, we stand before God, and we're judged. Okay? Not floating around here on the earth. Here's what Scripture also says, too. Uh, to be absent from the body is to be present where? The Lord. So when you die before the Lord, you're judged one of two destinations. You don't float around here as a ghost. All right? What does a demon look like? Now, probably, if you think you've seen a ghost or you've seen some kind of physical form or something, you didn't see a ghost. What you probably saw was a demonic presence. Um, There's scripture for that. Also, what would that look like? Here's a good test to find out if somebody's demon-possessed, okay? Walk up to them and say, do you like Tennessee football? If they say yes, odds are they're possessed by a demon. Just so you know. I'm not going to say we've got somebody here this morning that may or may not be dressed all in Tennessee orange. But if you see someone walking around like that, I'd be careful around them. I'd be careful around them. I'm having fun with you. Um, Do you need to be scared? Uh, Look at Acts chapter 19. We're going to put that up on the screen for you. Acts 19, verse 13. This is a crazy passage of Scripture. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. Now, this is a group of people who were religious, but they didn't really have a relationship with Jesus. They would say stuff like this, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven Sons of Sceva, which would be an awesome name for a metal band. I'm just telling you. Seven Sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. They were sons of a priest. They didn't have a relationship with Jesus, but they were trying to do spiritual warfare on their own. One day, this evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. That's a butt whooping. Can I just tell you? That's a good old-fashioned country beat down right there. One guy jumped on seven guys and beat them so bad they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Now, I've been in a fight before. All right? And I've lost some fights before. I've been beat pretty good. I have never once had the thought cross my mind, you know what, this, I'm just going to run out of the house naked. Never, ever, ever. He beat them so bad they ran out of the house naked. What's the point? They tried to take on the enemy outside of their relationship with Jesus, and they got destroyed. One of the biggest reasons why people get destroyed in spiritual warfare It's because they operate outside of the covering of their relationship with Jesus. Here's another passage of scripture, um, Mark chapter 5. This is another encounter, but this time this is with Jesus. Um, They went across the lake to the region of, how do you say that word? Gerasenes, Gerasenes, something, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Brad's got the degree. Maybe he can tell us. When Jesus got out of the boat... A man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet them, or to meet him. So here comes a guy possessed with a demon. The man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. Listen to this now. He had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance... He ran and fell on his knees in front of him. 
He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. This is a spirit that was empowering this guy to break chains and to break shackles on his feet. This was a bad dude. This was a bad dude. In fact, this guy was possessed by a group of demons that called themselves legion. But the second they came across Jesus, they weren't so bad anymore. The second they recognized the authority of Jesus, the guy dropped to his knees and started begging for mercy. Listen, you don't have one thing to be afraid of when it comes to the enemy in your relationship with Jesus. Outside Jesus, you got a whole lot of trouble. But in Jesus, listen, demons They shake with fear at the name of Jesus. In Jesus, you have authority in the name of Jesus. You have power in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, there is not one thing the enemy can put in front of you that you can't have victory over because you already walk in victory in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Golly, where does the time go? How can I stay victorious? It's the next question. How can I stay victorious? Because we know that in Jesus, we have victory. But yeah, that's all Jesus stuff, right? How can I consistently walk in victory in my personal life so that I don't fall into the traps that I've fallen into before or that I see people falling into with their lives? What can I do? A couple of words, and we're going to wrap up here. Obedience and Scripture. Obedience and Scripture. Uh, James chapter 4. Verse 7 says this. Submit yourselves then to God, submitting yourself in obedience to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. When we're submitted to the will of God in our relationship with God, Scripture says that the enemy will literally run, not just run, flee. That means he is hauling it in the other direction. Because we... And in our relationship with Jesus, under the covering of obedience, we're protected and we operate in a level of power that he just can't handle. Obedience and scripture. You've got to have a relationship with God and you've got to have the word of God in your heart. When Jesus was tempted in the desert by, the, by Satan, he answered every temptation that the enemy threw at him with scripture and shot him down. One of the most powerful offensive weapons you're going to have in spiritual warfare against the enemy is going to be your knowledge of the Word of God. And it's not just the knowledge of the Word of God because the devil can quote the Scripture pretty good too. In fact, in that exchange against Jesus, he started quoting the Bible to Jesus to try to get him to do something outside of the will of God, and Jesus shot him down. And this is the dividing line between a lot of people in church. A lot of people know the word of God, but they haven't allowed the word of God to transform them from the inside so that they're living a life of obedience in accordance with that scripture. Some people know it, but we live our lives however we want to live it, and that's why the enemy is having a heyday with us. Make sense? So these are a few questions that I thought would be good to answer that. How many of y'all would say that the answering of these questions have given you a little bit of light on the topic and have answered some questions that you have personally. Yeah, a lot of hands going up. Um, Next week, we're going to dive into a little bit of the armor of God. We're going to look at the two main ways that the enemy attacks you. There's two things he loves to do, 
and it's probably going to surprise you what they are. Probably, probably you haven't heard anybody touch on it. It's, it's going to be a unique look at how the enemy operates and what he does to try to get us off track and to destroy the purpose of God in our lives. So it's going to be good stuff. Let's stand to our feet as we close in prayer this morning.